Okay, here's your topic today, all right? So this is, again, this is how we do things here. We kind of give you a chance to talk a little bit because obviously you're a very talkative group. Um, and also a chance to get some more coffee if you want it. Here's the topic with people around you. Two or three people around you, hopefully that you know so it's not awkward. Come up with some ideas, some things that, um, imitations that are not nearly as good as the things that they imitate, okay? Um, call them knockoffs, whatever you want to call them, but things that are not nearly as good as the things that they imitate. You, got, you understand what you're talking about? All right, here we go. Don't say no. <laughs> here we go. You got about five minutes to talk. It's a good chance to get coffee if you want it. Go. Okay. Um, cheap imitations that are not nearly as good. I'll get the worst one out first. <sighs> it's hard to say. But Chris came forward and with tears in his eyes. He said, I think State has an imitation athletic department. Um, State fans, raise your hand. I give you permission to lay hands on Chris as soon as church is over. If you'd like to do it violently, that's fine with me. Don't shed blood in the house of God. Just take him outside. But, I mean, they did, they beat us. Y'all beat us, so I can't say anything about it. Um, what else? Cheap knockoffs, imitations that are not nearly as good as what they imitate. Some cover bands, and I heard that there is, Phil told me this, I've been enlightened, that there's a band called Blonde Jovi. Who's heard of Blonde Jovi? Blonde Jovi, apparently a cover band that does Bon Jovi, and he said they're not any good and they're all girls. <laughs> what else? Crab meat, imitation crab meat, okay. Leather, imitation leather. Cubic zirconium. It's a good answer. It's a good answer. Only a female would shout that out. Because men are like, no, those are awesome. They look just like the real thing. For five bucks. What? Generic Pop-Tarts. Coffee. Because, I mean, there's no coffee as good as Glory Beans coffee, right? You get out there. What else? The Batman that showed up in London? Okay. Oh, that was an oh, Yeah. It's nowhere as good as the real one. Anything else? Imitations that are not as good as hot sauce. Hot sauce. Imitation hot sauce. Not bad. Imitation cheese? Jokely's? Jokely sunglasses? So we'll be in Acts 19 today. <laughs> Lakeside. Oh, that's a good one. Who Was that you? Lakeside beaches. That is really true. Don't you love that? Like down in Columbia where Wendy grew up, um, Lake Murray, they just try to pretend like it's a beach. It's not. It's a lake. There's creatures in there and junk and stuff, and it's not a beach at all. Um, we are in Acts 19. I can't believe it, but this is the 26th Sunday that we've talked in the book of Acts. That's half a year. Half of your year. I mean, half of your life. Half of a year of your life just filled with the book of Acts. That's awesome. It's 26 weeks. So um, for me, this has been probably, I've been challenged by this book. Um, if you're here for the first time, we've, we've just, Decided, obviously, 26 weeks ago, we're going to start in the book of Acts. We're just going to go through it section by section, talk about it. Um, not to have any pressure on us, just to kind of look. This is the history of the early church, and they're a lot like us. They were a small group of people, about 120. Ironically, that's about how big our church is. They were a new church. Ironically, so are we. And we just thought, hey, what a great thing. Just go through the book of Acts. And we'll just see what they did back then and see what God did back then. And we'll ask ourselves this question. If we trusted God today like they did then, would God do today what he did then? And it's been a fantastic journey. We've seen a lot of stuff. I don't know how you have felt about the early church, but they're not nearly as perfect as we might have thought they were. Which is a lot of hope for the person sitting next to you, right? Because they're not perfect either, right? Wives are like, oh, yeah. <laughs> My husband needs to hear that. He's not perfect at all. Um, we have a lot of core values here at the church. 
Um, we have four that we call the core four, and they are in Acts. We have seen the undeniable message of Jesus in the way that Peter and Paul and so many others have preached. We've seen the unbreakable body of Jesus in the way that the early church lived together in unity. Um, remember we talked about how they would actually sell cars and sell property and sell homes, and they would bring that money and they would lay it at the apostles' feet and just say, hey, here, do whatever you want with it. Because remember that one couple that lied and then God killed them? I did say cars, didn't I? Yeah, I was just saying if you're listening. Thanks so much for pointing it out. I appreciate that. Here, why don't you just come teach the rest of this? I've disqualified myself from the ministry just like that, right? They were horse. They were they were drawn. There were cars that were powered by donkeys. Is that good? Okay, whatever. Um, we've seen the uncontainable kingdom of Jesus in the way that the early church has grown. It grew so rapidly they they couldn't have ever built buildings big enough to contain the church, right? I mean, look around the room today. Pretty good crowd for the middle of the summer. But if this was Bible times and I was able to preach and the power moved through me, the power of the Holy Spirit moved through me like it moved through Peter, then we would have 3,000 people, boom, just like that, come join our church. Um, don't think we can fit them here. Do you? I'm pretty sure we can't fit them there. I don't think we can fit them there, here, there, and there. I mean, it's uncontainable, right? So one of the values that we have here at the church is we value the uncontainable growth of the kingdom of God we don't want to build a building so big we can handle it all and so that's one reason why they met in homes because they couldn't contain it in one place and then we've seen the unexplainable worship of Jesus as his followers continue to offer themselves as sacrifices in the worst conditions can you believe some of the things we've seen these people go through and they still smile and they still preach and they still tell people about Jesus it's crazy the unexplainable worship of Jesus and the other thing that we've seen in this book is that there's a lot of weird, right? Have y'all been listening? There's a lot of weird stuff in Acts. I mean, people, like we just talked about the couple, people that, like, brought an offering and then died. That doesn't happen every day, does it? No. Weird. People that get healed, uh, just, hey, rise up and walk. They grab them up and people get healed. That doesn't happen. I wish it happened every day, but it doesn't happen every day. Weird stuff in the book of Acts. Last week, we started on Acts chapter 19. I told you that if there was one chapter that could be labeled most likely to freak people out, this is the one. Right? Acts 19. Last week, we started out looking at the first part of it. We saw 12 men in Ephesus receive the Holy Spirit. They start speaking in tongues. They start prophesying. I don't know about you, but for some of us, that's already maxed out the freak meter. Right? I mean, we don't even need to go into the rest of Acts 19. Just the first seven verses was like, people okay it's just weird but we're going through it we're looking at it and i told you last week the reason that those men had to receive the power of the holy spirit was because he was preparing them for something and today we're going to talk about what that something was verses 11 through 20 this is where we're going to be um gives us a picture of what the holy spirit said that they needed him for so before we get to them um, this is a crazy story we're going to read about handkerchiefs doing weird things and about um, demon a demon beats up seven guys and then they have this huge bonfire at the end. It's a weird, weird chapter, okay? So before we even talk about it, I need to address two types of people. I don't know which one you are, okay? When it comes to spiritual activity, like angels, demons, there's two types of extreme people. Here's the first extreme. People who never see demons they absolutely want nothing to do with them they just pretend like they don't exist they put their head in the sand and then there's the other extreme people who always see demons some of you are like i used to be in the first group and then i got married and i see demons everywhere they all look like my husband I mean, you've met people like this, right? Everything that happens in their life is an attack. If they walk outside and have a flat tire, it's because a demon crawled up on that tire and punctured it, right? These people are nuts. But this is, that's one extreme. People who always see demons, and the other extreme is people who never see demons. Most people tend to probably be somewhere in the middle, that third category of I'm not going to say it doesn't exist, but I don't quite know what to do with it, so let's don't talk about it. 
I don't know where you fall, but those are the kind of the three basic categories of people and how they deal with what we're going to talk about today. So here we go. Three events. Three events that happen in ten verses. Here's event number one on your sheet. Handkerchiefs and healings. We're just going to read these and talk about them and wrap it up. So it says in verses 11 and 12 of Acts 19, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. How many of you would just settle for miracles? If he just said, um, God did miracles through Paul, that'd be awesome. He did extraordinary miracles. This is like a a word that kind of means like never seen before. He did extraordinary miracles through Paul. So that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick, and their illnesses were cured, and the evil spirits left them. Now, we say this a lot here at church, that we are guilty today of reading the weird out of the Bible, right? So I just told you that there was a man, Paul, and he would preach, and then, like, people would take rags, because the word handkerchief, it's not really like this handkerchief, and this is an awesome handkerchief, but it really means that he was a tent maker. I mean, he did a lot of work. How many of you um, work on stuff? You're a painter. You work on cars. You got rags, right? You got rags all over the place, and you wipe your hands with it, and you wipe your brow with it, and you wipe maybe other stuff that we don't want to mention with it. And you just, what do you do with those rags? Do you frame them? No, you just throw them down, right? You're just laying around on the floor. So I don't know who it was first that was <coughs> coughing. <coughs> I just <coughs> don't feel good. And they saw a rag on the ground that belonged to Paul. He'd used it when he was tent making probably, and he was wiping sweat with it. And they just picked it up and <coughs> coughed into it and realized they weren't coughing anymore. But that's basically what happened. Handkerchiefs that he had used, rags that he had used, Aprons, not like Paul was not on a cooking show. I don't think, because he was a man, right? He was he probably like an apron that held tools, and somebody somewhere picked one of those up and suddenly realized they weren't sick anymore. So what do you think they did? What would you do? I'd be telling everybody I knew, dude, you're not gonna believe this. You're gonna think I'm crazy. I just touched that rag. I'm not coughing anymore. And if you were your, a friend of someone like that, what are you doing? Well, I know some of y'all. You're making yourself sick to test it. It's like, give me that rag. I want to try it out. No kidding, that thing works. It's great. And so news, just I mean, that word just spreads like wildfire. And so people are coming up, and they, they're picking up the rags. They're like, hey, can you just wipe yourself with that? Thanks. And they're taking it out. And it's crazy. Now, some of you have seen stuff that looks like this. You've turned on the television, and you've seen a TV evangelist or 500 do this. If you'll send us a gift of $100, we'll send you this handkerchief that you could have bought for five. And we'll actually tell you that we prayed over it, and it's anointed. And if you'll touch your body with it, you'll be healed. Now, I want to be really careful here, okay? Because I'm not denying that it's possible that you could send them $100 and get a handkerchief that you could have bought for five, and you could probably put it on your arm, and maybe you would be healed. I'm not denying that at all. What I am saying is this. That ain't nothing like what we're reading in the Bible now. Because Paul did not set up a shop and start selling anointed rags and aprons only used one time, good for 99 more healings. He didn't do that. He didn't make money off of this. What I believe in a very pure way that I don't fully understand was that Paul was limited in time and space to one place. He could only touch so many people. We saw that last week, didn't we? How many of you stood here for 20 minutes waiting for me to get to you to pray for you? I mean, at some point, one person can only do so much. And I think it's awesome that God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, just kind of went, you know what? There's a lot of rags laying around. I'll just anoint those with power. And suddenly Paul's not limited to this place. He's the power of the Holy Spirit everywhere that his handkerchief, his aprons go. I love that. God's not limited the way that you and I are limited. We have to be careful not to take what God has done amazing things through and suddenly turn them into a ministry. Paul did not, after Acts 19, start an anointed handkerchief ministry. 
He just kept on preaching. Okay? Are you with me? I got that from John Bevere. Are you with me? Do you like that? If you're in beta Satan, he says it about 500,000 times when he preaches. It won't be long before I'll be like Matt Chandler. Are you tracking with me? We have less Chandler fans than we do John Bevere fans. It's okay. Um, let me just say this. This is not the first time that this has happened in Scripture. Uh, a couple of things you can jot down. Matthew 9.20. Matthew 9.20 is the story of um, Jesus when he's walking through the crowd. And all the crowd presses up against him. And there's one woman there. She's been bleeding for 12 years. And so um, she says, if I can just press through the crowd and just touch the hem of his garment, then I'll be healed. And the Bible says that she did press through the crowd. Because I don't know what you would do. But if a bloody woman came up behind me, I'm out of the way, right? Go hey, hey, right on through. She got through the crowd, she touched the hem of his garment, and she was healed. That's one place that we see this. And then, I don't, I don't even know if we mentioned it, maybe we did in passing, but in Acts chapter 5, 15, as if the handkerchiefs that heal people isn't freaky enough, Acts 5, 15 says that Peter was so full of the power of God that his shadow would fall on people and they would be healed. I'd like to have that gift for a day. Just, hey, we're going to have a little healing service. Uh, make sure we get in the sun so we'll have a shadow and just let the shadow fall on people and watch them get healed. That would be amazing. And could, How did Peter discover that, right? He's just walking along, and all of a sudden, like, everywhere he walks, his shadow falls on people. And they're, he, behind him, he's, he, he's hearing stuff like, hey, I can walk. I can walk. And he's, well, I didn't pray for you, but your shadow touched me. I can walk. So, testing it out. Wow, that's cool. We just we read the weird right out of the Bible. Don't read the weird out of the Bible. It is a weird book. Acts is a weird book, but it's a good weird. So it's not the first time it's happened. When people try to imitate this, maybe that's when we run into problems. At any rate, here's what happens. Not only are people healed, it says so that their illnesses are cured, but the evil spirits left them. They were deliver, delivered from evil spirits, and that's what sets up the stage for the next event. So the first event is handkerchiefs and healing. Event number two, verses 13 through 16. This is the fun one. Seven can't beat one. And here's what happens. Let me read it to you, and then we'll talk about it. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. And the reason that this happens is because they notice from the handkerchiefs that people are being healed and evil spirits are being driven out. And so they're like, hey, Evil spirits are being driven out. We can make some money off of this. So these are men that went around. This was their whole living, going around and praying for people to be delivered from demon possession. They would say, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Verse 14, seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. And one day the evil spirit answered them. Make sure you get that. These are men who walked around and prayed for people to be delivered. And one day... The evil spirit answered them. They're not used to hearing anything come back. They're doing all the praying. It's usually quiet. People doing this, looking with one eyeball, figuring out what's going on. And one day, they're praying, and they hear a voice. I'm not going to do the demon voice. I'm just messing with you. And here's what the voice says. Jesus, I know. And I know about Paul. But who are you? And in verse 16, I just want to make sure you know what's in the Bible. Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. So all of you that were do dozing off there, you're all back, right? Because I just said naked and bleeding. And you're like, naked and bleeding? That's in the Bible? This is awesome. I want to hear this part. Blood and guts, literally naked and bleeding. So let's just talk through this passage. What's going on here? Uh, I asked you about some of the things that are... Not as good when they're imitated. Um, Y'all had great answers. Here's my, here's my answer. I am a huge lover of Swedish fish candy. Great, great candy. And one day I went into Food Line, and I was feeling kind of cheap, and I saw that Swedish fish candy was $1.99 for a pack, or I could get Food Line red fish two for a dollar. And I said, I'm a two for a dollar guy, so I got the red fish. I got in the car, I ripped that bag open, I put one in my mouth and just about spit it into the windshield. Those things are the nastiest pieces of candy you will ever put in your mouth. They should not be called redfish, they should be called red butt. 
They are nasty. Now, the shame of it is they're so bad that I was sure that I had had just a bad one. So I ate another one, pretty sure it would be better than the first, but it was not. I get home, I've had about three because I'm still trying, right? So who's the dummy? It's me. And I'm thinking, I have two bags of red fish, and I can't believe I'm going to throw a bag away. I walk in, and my kids, who also love Swedish fish, they're like, Swedish fish! And I said, well, no, they're red fish. Like, you want one? They're like, yeah! And my kids, they love candy. And they ate one, they're like, oh, this is terrible. <laughs> but they ate another one, too, just to make sure. You just can't help yourself, right? You just can't help yourself. It's nasty. Listen, imitation stuff, if it's not as good as the real thing, is nasty. And here's what we're going to meet in this event. We're meeting people who tried to imitate something that they did not have. They see that the power of God is resting on some rags and some aprons that were worn by Paul, used by Paul, and they have been spending their whole life, this is their whole career, this, their career is demon hunting. Which in today's age would make for a really good reality show, right? But there, it didn't end well for them. And so they go, wait a second, like there's power in this handkerchief. Hey, let's walk around. I don't want to touch it. I don't want to touch the sweaty rags. We'll just leave those there. But his name's Paul. That's Paul. Don't forget that. Paul. So like all seven brothers are thinking, Paul, it's Paul, it's Paul, it's Paul. So they walk up to people and they say, in the name of Jesus, not that we know, of course, but whom Paul preaches, Paul, right? Yeah, Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Sounds good so far, right? They got all the words right, and everything's great until the demon talks back. Who are you? Um, if you have little ones, cover their ears, because this was the oh crap moment of the story, where they just went, oh, what? Did he, what? Did he, who are we? And before they can even try to answer, one dude, one, possessed by a demon, beat the snot out of seven men. And they were lucky to get out naked and bleeding. They were not looking for the clothes on the way out. They were just like, let me out the door. <laughs> I can see seven men. This was like when, when, when Wendy and I, our first mission trip as a couple, we go to Rio. And um, they took us up into a favela. Favela means slum. And we're going up this hill. And we're going past, like, guys with machine guns and junk. And we're like, this is kind of weird. You know, we didn't, have an, we didn't have a translator. We had nobody there to help us. Uh, it's just me and her and the team were doing medical missions. We go up into the mountains. We get out. We start playing with kids because that's all I can do, right? I'm, I have no, uh, no language skills or nothing, but give me a ball and we're playing. So we're playing with kids. We're talking. We're doing like I'm ripping my sock off, doing sock puppets, the whole deal. And somewhere right around sock puppet time, we hear gunfire, like, like automatic gunfire going up in the air. And literally, you've seen movies like Western movies where people just like, you know, scatter. That's what it was in real life. Like you hear doors slamming. And we're just like the white Americans going, what's going on? <laughs> and all of a sudden, like, somebody in Portuguese is like, you know, yelling at us. And the kids are going crazy. You know, like, come on, they're pushing us. And so we just start taking off to get into any place that we possibly can. We see some people on our team, and they're trying to get into a spot, like a really small room. And the doors are really small. They're not like that door. They're really, really small. And we kind of got behind a healthy woman. And we pushed, and we pushed on her, and we got Wendy in the door. But I could not get in the door. And that's what I envisioned here. Obviously, I survived, and we found out later it was just they were shooting it up in the air to warn all the drug dealers that the police were coming up the mountain. It would have been nice if they could have told us that. I would have not had to change my underwear, right? <laughs> but that's what I picture here. Seven brothers in a house trying to act all big and tough and saying, you know what, in the name of Jesus, because I heard that name somewhere, that one that Paul preaches, we command you. That's why we command you to come out. And the devil says, I know about Jesus, I know about Paul, but who are you? And when the first brother's shirt went, I just picture six brothers taken towards the door and the seventh brother pushing on them and the demon pulling them all back in and just like, 
fabric and everything everywhere. They could not jump in a car. I was just saying, if you were listening earlier, they didn't have cars then. <laughs> and all because they were a cheap imitation of real power. They had no faith. They only had a formula. They were all about activity for Jesus. They had no intimacy with Jesus. They were fakers. And God allowed a demon to expose them, literally. And when the word got out about that event, because you know that's getting out, right? The word about that spreading. Did y'all hear what happened to the seven stupid brothers of Sceva? They were naked and bleeding. They were naked and bleeding. It was a demon. When word spread about that event, it set up the third event. Event number three, a multi-million dollar bonfire. So here's what happens. Verse 17 when this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, and it became known quickly, news about seven brothers being stripped and beaten travels faster than a black bear at Rock Creek. <laughs> if Peter had lived back then, he was making tunics and stuff, right, to sell a naked and bleeding T-shirt. They had the naked and bleeding 5K probably. <laughs> news traveled fast. And here's what happened when the news traveled fast. Verse 17, they were all seized with fear. Everybody say all. all. They were all seized with fear, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Now let's talk about why they were seized with fear. Number one, the first group in all would be non-believers, right? And um, if I'm just looking around the room, if statistics are true, not all of us here are following Jesus. Some of us might be pretending like we are, but we're not all following Jesus. And so this room is made up of two types of people. Not Christian and non-Christian, not holy and bad. It's made up of followers of Jesus and not followers of Jesus. It's made up of believers in Jesus as their Savior and non-believers. And so in this story, it's the same thing. They're all, the whole city is full of fear. And the non-believers are full of fear for one simple reason. The best demon hunters they have just got their butts kicked by a demon. Now, if your whole hope, and in this, in this culture, it was huge. They were big into the occult. They were big into witchcraft. And so the seven sons of Sceva were apparently fairly decent at it because they made a living doing it. Who are you going to call? Ghostbusters, right? You didn't call the cheap imitation of the Ghostbusters. You called the Ghostbusters because they're good at what they do. So who are they going to call? Seven sons of Sceva. They're apparently so good that they can make a living at it. And so if they're the best that they have to offer in dealing with the occult and dealing with witchcraft and dealing with this other world that we want to stick our head in the sand and pretend like does not exist, if they're the best at it and they just got, themse- they just got it handed to them by a demon, if you're a non-believer in that city, you're thinking, then who am I going to call? I got no hope. So the unbelievers are filled with fear. But so are the believers. Now, why would the believers be full of fear? You're going to hate this answer. Just go ahead and tell the person next to you they're going to hate it. Go ahead and tell them. So you're going to hate this answer. The believers in the city were full of fear because they realized that God is so protective of his holy name that he would not even allow seven sons of Sceva who don't believe in him to mock him. And he will defend his name even with a demon. And at some point, the believers started going, hey, are you honoring his name? I'm not sure I'm honoring his name. Are, are, Are you? Man, do you see how fear suddenly grips the city? And so what did they do? Verse 18. Sorry. Verse 18 says that many who believed. That's the church. If we're applying this to us today, which we have to do that. 
That means if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, you get to sit back. You get to look at the believers start to squirm a little bit. Because this isn't about you. It's about the church. Many who believed, verse 18, many of those who believed now came and openly confessed their evil deeds. And after they confessed, this is what they did in verse 19. A number who had practiced sorcery. Who are we talking about again? Believers. I just want to make sure you get this, okay? A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. The church, the believers, they hear this report about a demon that possesses a man. It's so powerful that he would overtake seven sons of Sceva who made were professional demon hunters, tears them apart, sends them out of a house naked and bleeding. Great fear seizes the city, and the believers go, I don't want this stuff anymore. I, I, don't, want it. I, I don't want it so bad. I'm going to take all the scrolls I've got, and I'm just going to give them to you. Here, will you just burn these things for me? I don't want this anymore. It says in the Bible that the bonfire was valued at 50,000 drachmas. Everybody say drachma. That's a great word. You know you want to say it. Come on, say drachma. Some of y'all are holding out on me. You're not going to say drachma because you're scared you're going to spit on somebody. But do it anyway. Say drachma. A drachma was a, it was a silver coin, and it was, it was worth a day's wages. Now, I don't know what a day's wage was back then, but just for the fun of it, I thought I'd see what a day's wage was today. Now, I'm going to throw a number out there, and some of you are going to be like, God, they didn't, that's not a lot of money. And some of you are going to say, man, I wish I made that. <clears throat> but nationally, the national average for a wage is somewhere around 50 grand a year for a household. Um, so let's just kick it back to 45, all right, which right now some of us are like, can I get a raise now, right? Can just 45 now. I'll take it now. But if, if $45,000 is what somebody's making a year, and they're not working on Sundays, because back then the Jews would not have worked on Sundays. And that, that averages out, I think it's right around, I think it's 173 a day. That'd be a day's wage. So if I could hand you a big old drachma, and you could take it down to Walmart and use a drachma, it'd be awesome if you could use a drachma. I can see some of you right now at the self-checkout in Walmart. I can't scan the drachma. I don't know what's going on. Keep trying to put it in there. It's not working. But if you could, you'd have $173 worth of spending power. Multiply that by $50,000. It's a $7.1 million bonfire. How badly do you want Jesus? Just out of curiosity. 70. $7.1 million went up in smoke. Because they suddenly saw the real power of Jesus. Now, let me just make a couple of statements and takeaways, and then we'll, we'll be done. The first takeaway is, is our big idea today. Fakers can't be shakers. That's fun to say. Fakers can't be shakers. Here, here's what we know from the book of Acts. You and I are called as the body of Christ to be filled with the Spirit so we can bring His kingdom to this earth. That's what's happening in the book of Acts. He fills His church so they can go out and tell the world about Jesus and bring His kingdom to earth. It's a huge task. And we can't shake up the spiritual atmosphere around us if we're faking the power of God. Here are a couple of statements. You can write these down. We can't play around with what we're called to put down. We can't play around with what we're called to put down. Right now you're thinking, where do I write that? There's no blank. You have to write the whole sentence. Sorry. Or just get the notes off the website later. We can't play around with what we're called to put down. When we do that, we dilute the power of the Holy Spirit that wants to flow through us. It's probably likely that you don't go around practicing spells. Am I right? I mean, at least you're hoping right now the person next to you doesn't practice spells. If at any point during my message they were doing something like this, <laughs> you're in trouble, right? But my guess is none of us go around 
practicing spells and witchcraft and all that kind of stuff. But I would also guess that it's possible that when we read this passage, we understand the clear reminder is that we have to put down the things in our lives that are inconsistent with the gospel. And I don't know what that is for you. I wouldn't even want to try to guess. I got my hands full figuring out what that is for me. But we've got to put down the things that are inconsistent with the gospel. Here's some things to think about. Cell phones. <laughs> Kidding. The Bible doesn't say you can't have a glass of wine, right? But in our culture, how many of us, I shouldn't say, I mean, how many people stop at one? Sometimes that's something we really struggle with. What about porn? I would never look at porn on a computer, but I'll go to a movie. Not even a porn, but just I'll just go to a movie, and I'll see all that I want to see there. Or, or I'll just watch TV after nine. <laughs> you know, you take your pick, right? Um, I won't even bring up gluttony. It's too easy. Gluttony is when you eat too much or you eat more than you should. But, I mean, the point here is, I bet in those three things, I just name stuff that we dabble in. And that's really what this is about. It's not about the believers suddenly saying, oh, you got me, God. I'm really just like the seven sons of Sceva. I said I was following you, but really I'm just a demon hunter. It wasn't that at all. It was that the power of God was displayed in such a way that they went, uh-oh, I've been dabbling in this stuff. I don't want to dabble in this stuff. Jesus is worth everything to me. He's worth all that I am. I don't want to dabble anymore. Here, take my dry. Here, here's 50,000 drachmas. Burn that stuff. What are you dabbling in? What am I dabbling in? We can't play around with what we're called to put down. This is an important one, too, because right away we're going to start thinking, like, i got to earn it. i got to earn it. No, here's the deal. The more we value Jesus, the less we worry about the cost of following him. The more we value Jesus, the less we worry about the cost of following him. There is a cost to follow Jesus. How many of you can raise your hand and say, yeah, I've seen that. There's a cost to follow Jesus. It can cost us friends. It can cost us jobs. It can cost us money. There's a cost to following Jesus. But the more that I love him, the more that I value him, the less I worry about that. I don't sit at home all day long and go, oh, God, I can't ever date any other woman because I'm married to Wendy. Aren't you glad I don't do that? <laughs> Wendy's like, if you did that, you would suddenly be able to date a lot of other women. <laughs> because I value Wendy. I mean, she's it for me. I mean, I tell her all the time, please don't die. If you die, I got no shot. <laughs> I mean, I will be on ramen noodles the rest of my life. Just like when I was a bachelor, I'll go into food line, I'll come out with a big old cart full of like 500 bags of ramen noodles, and I'll give them 10 bucks, and that's the end of that. <laughs> I got no shot. I value Wendy. And because I value Wendy, I don't think about the cost of being married. Are you kidding me? This is the best thing that ever happened to me outside of Jesus. I mean, the church, think about this. We're so jacked up thinking about the cost of following Jesus that you don't even value him. If you're so worried about what it's going to cost you to serve Jesus, then you don't value Jesus. Well, I don't want to follow Jesus because I might have to give up this and this and this and this. Then you've never even seen Jesus. Because if you saw Jesus, you would gladly give those things away. The Bible talks about the man who found a, a pearl of great price. And it does not say that he went away and stomped his feet and said, I've got to sell everything I have to buy that. It says in his joy. He went and sold all that he had. He couldn't sell it fast enough. He was typing on Craigslist as fast as he could. So he could take all the money he could get for that and go buy that one pearl. Do you value Jesus like that? The people that know you, that watch you live, would they say that you value Jesus like that? Or would they say, eh, I know that they love Jesus, but I think sometimes they're just mad at Jesus for all that he makes them do. 
The more you value Jesus, the less we worry about the cost of following him. This is way too easy. I'm cherry picking now as the pastor. I'm shooting fish in a barrel. But if we apply this to offerings. I love Jesus with all my heart. And I'm going to give him a $1 bill even though I could give him a 10. You're counting the cost. You're not valuing Jesus. The woman with two mites. She, would have, she pushed people with big funky hats out of the way just to drop in her two mites. And Jesus said she gave more than all these men because she gave all she had. Worship is really about worth-ship. And what we give is a huge part of it. Redeemed hearts love. They can't give God back enough. And it's not about works. It's not about works. It's about he's redeemed me. He's redeemed me. I mentioned this earlier. Activity for Jesus can never replace intimacy with Jesus. The demon said he knew Jesus. He knew Paul. He didn't know who these guys were. Listen to the statement. If we know Jesus, the unseen world will know us. And when it knows us, we'll be really glad we know Jesus. When we know Jesus, the unseen world will know us. And when it knows us, we will be really glad we know Jesus. Spiritual warfare is not a fight that you and I want to walk into without Jesus. And so here's, here's the last statement if you want to write down. Verse 20 says this. In this way, in what way? I mean, in this way, in what way? In a way that the believers came and said, I don't want to dabble with this stuff anymore. I don't want any compromise in my life. Whatever is in my life, I just want to give it to you. Will you light the fire and burn it? Big old bonfire. And they openly confessed their sin, which even that is something we don't do, right? Here's how we confess our sin. Oh, God, please forgive me. Thank you, Jesus. Right? I mean, let's be, there's only two words that people whisper in the South, right? Black and sex. Have you noticed that? What the other day I was talking to a black man about sex. What? What? So confused. Listen, at some point, at some point, and I'm going back to Wendy again, okay? At some point, it does not matter to me what you think about how I love her. You will think I'm the craziest person in the world. I don't care because she's what matters to me. If you said, well, if you really loved Wendy, you would stand on your head and roll over broken glass. I'd be like, you're stupid, but okay. I mean, if, that's, if, that, if you want me to prove it, I'll do it. At some point. At some point, we love. The key to revival, this is what happened in verse 20. In this way, in the giving of what they had, of saying, I don't want anything but Jesus. Nothing but Jesus. We sang that song today. None but you. When they, when they did that, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. That means they had revival, okay? So here's the last statement, and we've got to wrap up because it's been a long weekend. Some of you are going to go to sleep. Last statement. The key to revival is revering the reviver. I'll say it one more time. You can't say that five times fast. You can try. Go ahead. You want to try now? No, you can try it at home. Do it, do it in the car. The key to revival is revering the reviver. What does revere mean? We don't use that. You're like, I know what revere means. It means like you get on a horse and you ride through Boston. No. No, you're stupid. <laughs> um, revere, revere, it just means to hold something in high esteem and high regard. It means to do what we see here when it says that the whole city was seized with fear, but that the name of the Lord was exalted. It says that the name of the Lord was revered. That's what revered means. So the key to revival, we all want revival. If you've been in church at least like a week, you've heard somebody say, oh, Lord, we want revival. Probably you don't want it. But if you do. If you really want God to get a hold of us like this, because apparently the cost of revival here was seven men naked and bleeding, 
and a $7.1 million bonfire that was an offering at the church. I mean, if you want to have revival and you're willing to give 7.1, I'll pass the offering plate. But revival is just a term we throw around, and here's what it really means. My church is boring, and I want revival. Well, your church is boring because you're boring. And you come to church and go, fire me up, preacher. It's not my job. It's your job. You're supposed to fire yourself up. You're supposed to meet with the creator every single day. You don't come put pressure on me to fire you up. I'm here to equip you. So we said we want revival because I'm bored. Church is boring. No, no. You want revival? There's a cost to it. And the way to have revival is to revere the reviver. To say, God, there's nobody more important in my life than you. I can guarantee you this. You get 120 people in one place, and that's their heart. You know what happens in that place? You know what I found out? You don't even have to have 120 people. I don't know how few you have to have, but Friday night we had like 45 or 50. Because we were, how many, 52? 32. Okay, good. We were under the CO. That's important. So we had 32 people in this building right here worshiping their hearts out. And guess who shows up? Well, no, the fire marshal. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Jesus showed up in a beautiful, powerful, awesome way that you missed if you weren't there. And you know why he showed up? Because we just revered him. We just said, for, for two hours, you're all we want. And so the two turned into three. We revered them. You want revival in this city? Man, revere God. And the word of the Lord will spread widely, and it will spread with great power. Seeing this city overcome by the love of Jesus begins with us valuing the word of Jesus. There is never a substitute for reading and loving the Bible. Never. And, you know, it's funny. I've been in ministry so long now. I can't believe I'm old enough to say that. I wish I had a better answer for you than that. Like, people come to me and say, how do you just, how can you, how can I just love Jesus more? Read the Bible. I just don't feel close to Jesus anymore. Pastor, what, what can I do? You reading the Bible? So, no. No. You should read the Bible. Pastor, I feel like God's got a call in my life, and I don't know what it is and where he wants me to go. You got any suggestions? I got a Bible reading plan. I mean, like, a better suggestion? No. That's all I got. Read the Bible. But the Bible's boring. Get a better one. Pastor, I'm in trouble. Why's that? I don't understand the Bible. Are you reading King James? No, I'm reading the message. I don't understand the Bible. Yeah, you're in trouble. <laughs> you're in trouble. <laughs> So you're reading the message, which is like third grade level. You're not understanding it. Pastor, can you help me? I, I can help you. Here's what you do. Read the Bible in the message and then get in the community group. Like, like with people? Well, we don't have dog community groups. <laughs> yes, with people that are living. Well, I don't want to be with people because it's like I'd be scared to say something about the Bible because I don't understand the Bible. And they think I'm stupid. You're going to be in a community group with stupid people. The Bible says we can't understand it. It's not understood because we're smart. It's understood because of the Spirit in us. You need to be in a community group. You need to talk about the things you don't understand. And then somebody's going to say, I don't understand that either. Let's call Paul. <laughs> Get out my cell phone. Yeah, what's up? We don't understand. Me either. Just talk about it. Community. Now, here's what I've learned in all my years of ministry, and especially in 18 or 19 months leading you guys as a pastor. Y'all hate that answer. People hate that answer. I don't like to read. I don't like people. You're going to have a hard time being a Christian. Because <laughs> Christianity is all about the Bible, which is Jesus, right? The Bible, Jesus became flesh. The Word became flesh. You can't follow Jesus and not read the Bible. And it's all about community because you're in a body. 
So if you don't like to read the Bible and you don't like people, you're going to have a hard time going to heaven. And if you get to heaven, you're going to have a really hard time in heaven. Because guess what's going to be there? The Bible, Jesus, and people. Just, I don't have a better answer for you. And sometimes I wish I did. Or maybe I should just wear something flashier or have better bells and whistles and just find a better way to say, read the Bible. Or maybe I should be better looking or maybe we should be a certain way or have, maybe we should be able to dim the lights and have a light show while I say, read the Bible. And then all of you will be like, oh, well, they did it to music, so it must be cool. Just read the Bible. Just read the Bible. The word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. There is no substitute. I love this statement. Yes, I came up with it. I still love it. If Jesus is the cornerstone and foundation of our faith, then the Bible is the mortar holding every brick together. There's just no substitute for the Bible. And I honestly mean this. If you have a Bible that you don't understand, you are blessed to live in an age when you can get almost any kind of version you want and still have total trust that it is authentic and reliable. The message is a great way to start. If you don't understand the Bible, the message, I know it just ragged all over it, but it's a great version if you don't understand the Bible. If Jesus is the cornerstone and foundation of our faith, then the Bible is the mortar holding every brick together. This morning, I want to be clear, this is a very clear call this morning. It is time for believers. If you're not a believer, take a deep breath, let it out. It's all about the pressures on the believers. This morning, the call is clear. It is time for believers to step out of the shadows. Step out of the shadows. Stop dabbling in stuff we don't need to dabble in. Don't pretend any longer because there are real powers, and they are more powerful than us, but they are not more powerful than Jesus. And that's why if you and I are going to shake the unseen atmosphere in this life, for that task, we have to be near Jesus because fakers can't be shakers. Don't you want to say that? Don't you? Don't you feel it? Let's say it together. Fakers can't be shakers. Don't you want to do it again? You're feeling it, aren't you? You start shaking a little bit when you said it. You're starting this little salsa dance, right? Because fakers can't be I was waiting on you. Fakers can't be shakers.